0: Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Got an absolutely cracking episode for you guys today. I was joined by Paul Roos. Um, for those of you who don't know who Paul is, he is a former AFL player and coach playing a total of 356 games um, in the AFL for Fitzroy and Sydney, and then coaching 268 games with Sydney and Melbourne, obviously winning a premiership with Sydney. He was a seven-times All-Australian. He was captain at Fitzroy. Uh, He's an incredible bloke. He's also the founder of Performance by Design, which we touch on inside today's episode. But I took an immense amount of value away from our conversation. Um, Paul's just extremely good at communicating and breaking breaking down uh, topics specifically leadership um, in a way that's so simple and easy to understand um, but very relatable as well so I think you guys are going to love today's episode and a huge thank you to Paul for joining me. Uh, I do appreciate his time so I would love for you to take a screenshot of this episode if you do take some value away post it up on instagram story for me tag myself and tag paul as well i'll have the links in the show notes to to any of the information that you may need from paul and all his socials and whatnot but um i know you guys are gonna love this episode so just sit back relax and enjoy today's conversation with paul paul welcome to the fitness and lifestyle podcast mate it's a it's a pleasure to have you on Uh, i've been really excited about today's conversation and um a lot of the, the listeners have as well. I put out a bit of a feeler on social media and everyone was pretty keen to, to get your insight into a number of things. So a big thanks for joining me, mate. Pleasure. It's good to be here. Mate, I wanted to, to get stuck straight into it um, and, and hit you with a hard-hitting question straight up. So far in your um, career as a coach in particular, what's been the most, uh, the most memorable moment um, of your career so far and why? Yeah, winning
1: the grand final obviously was huge, but but probably I mean that's the obvious one, but probably the the lead up and some of the games you remember. The, one of the best games was when we beat Port um, in a final in two thousand and three. So it was sort of two years before we won the, the grand final, and yeah, we had a couple of players injured um, prior to going to that prim, that finals campaign. We had a few injured during the game, and so they're probably the games you really remember the ones in adversity where you, you sort of put were on top. I think there were three games clear on top of the ladder at the end of the season. We finished fourth and we beat them, which was amazing, got into the prelim final. So that was really memorable game and probably set up a lot of what we did in 2005. Mm. But the grand final, I mean, it's just incredible, the, the memory of winning it and, you know, the fans and the ex-players and families yeah. and, you know, it was just incredible.
0: Obviously, in regards to success in, in any field or any part of life, it typically comes with a lot of failures beforehand or almost like a low point or you know, a good saying or something that comes up a lot lately is that you know the more times you fail, the more likely it is that you'll succeed. Was there any point in your coaching career where you just felt like it was almost the lowest of the lows or, or something that really sticks out to that then escalated things to start pushing you in the right um, projection moving forward?
1: It's probably two games that I remember. My first uh, year, we were one and three, so we'd won one game, lost three. Um, I remember coming down at three quarter time. We were playing Melbourne. Ironically, we were twenty points down. We had uh, one on the bench that could f- could play. And then the following two weeks, I remember we were playing Brisbane and Collingwood, who'd played in the grand final the week before. So I sort of thought, gee, well, I'm going to be one and six in my first year as coach, and probably going to get the sack in about three weeks' time. <laughs> So it was in those moments and, you know, I remember going out, talking to the players and just trying to reinforce the things that we do really well and we're not doing well and we kicked 10 goals in the last quarter and we went on and beat Melbourne easily. Then we beat Brisbane and Collingwood the next two weeks and, as I said, we played in the, the uh, prelim final that year. The second one was probably um, against the West Coast Eagles in around about five or six in 2005. Um, and I just felt the players had stopped playing for each other and we got beaten really convincingly. And and there's sort of a case of um, where do we really want to go as a footy club? You know, we've we just – everyone was trying to do their own thing, not playing for the team, playing for themselves. And so it sort of gave the players a bit of a spray after the game and sort of basically said, look, I think I'm wasting my time. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, we're not really going anywhere. Um, you yeah, know, if you want me to leave, I'll leave, you know, because it was sort of – sort of more, more time for them to make a commitment to each other. and So they're probably the two, the two times where sort of out of adversity we were able to turn things around. And, and I think the players learning as well. The mm-hmm. first one was, you know, they were a good team. You know, they were able to beat Melbourne and then um, beat Brisbane and beat Collins. So that was probably the first part of getting them confident and us confident as a group, coaches, players together. The second one was more around, well, if you don't want to do it, like it, it takes energy to be good and... It takes a lot of energy to be great, but if you don't want to do it, then that's fine. That's your decision, and you know it's we got to make part, that decision. Can, yeah, you got to make that decision at some point. So they're probably the the two that stand out.
0: Mm. Obviously, in football and, and in any sport, there's the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. Um, you know, throughout your career as like player and coach it was how did you deal with both both the the highs and the lows? So were you someone that really stayed level regardless of whether it was a big big win or, or a bad loss or were you someone that kind of got up and about once or, and, and encouraged a players to get up and about on a big win and, went and take the, the losses really seriously? How did you approach that?
1: Yeah, probably slightly different as a player and a coach. I mean, as a player... You know, you, you, you naturally celebrate the wins, mm. you know, which is really good. As a coach, you've got to allow your players to do it. But probably the preparation is the main thing. As, as a player, you've got to prepare yourself individually to play well first. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the biggest difference. As a coach, you're preparing the whole team. Yep. You know, to so, but preparation for both is the key. But no matter whether you're the most selfless player, you still look after yourself first and foremost. So as a yeah. player, as a captain of Fitzroy... My first obligation was to myself because I had to turn up the best version of me to be yeah. able to play well. As a coach, yeah, you, know, you you never really were thinking about yourself at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you just were thinking about the team and how how you can prepare the team sort of thing. So, but I guess the common denominator was more around preparation. You know, all you can do is control that. You know, some some weeks I'd prepare really well as a player and I just didn't play well. Mm-hmm. But if I knew I'd done something that probably affected that performance. I could always go back to that and say, oh, yeah, I, I didn't eat as well this week or I didn't train yeah. as hard this week. Yeah. So as, as long as you're honest with your preparation, I think that's the main thing and, and trying to control what you can control. Yeah. I think that's the big thing about highs and lows, whether it's in business or whether it's in sport, understand what you can control and control it and sometimes you're just going to have a really bad day. You know that That's just the reality of life but get back to what you do really well, prepare really well, and do that to the
0: best of your ability as a as a coach looking like within the group of players when there was a bad game or maybe there was a specific player that had a bad game with the, the absolute superstars was there a trend that you noticed in regards to how they responded to such a bad game you know if you've got someone who's you know smashing it um, throughout the season and they come out and just have an absolute stinker did they go about it in a certain way like take full responsibility did they go back and do a bit more more tape, watch more tape or, or spend a bit more time at training? Was there anything that you noticed of the, the guys that really stood out to you? I think the common theme with the great
1: players is just the drive, you know, the inner drive that mm. they have, you know, yep. in the competitiveness, the, the self-worth, um, their confidence, which then allows them to to do things that they know is going to help them get better. You know, the ones that are probably a bit more wishy-washy, just don't really understand about themselves, don't really understand about the game, don't really want to put in the hard work. So the common theme when players were out of form is I mean I think as a coach you used, you first thing I would do is show them a game they played really well. So yeah. so just reinforce Positive that reinforcement. Belief, yeah. Yeah, in themselves. But a lot of times it was just they would just start to train a bit little bit harder, mm-hmm. they prepare a little bit better. Yeah, but they always had that competitive edge. The one common theme about great players is the competitive nature. Yeah, so you really were just trying to help them get through that period, make sure that things were going okay at home, mm-hmm. uh, make sure they, they remained really confident, and then they would typically be able to work their way through
0: themselves. Speaking of, of great players, do you think like leadership as a quality is something that, I guess you're born with or can it be taught? So can you have a great player that comes in who has never really been that type of leader or vocal leader that can be taught those skills and really adopt it and and start to see the benefit of that? Or do you think it's something that you're just born with, you've got to have it naturally? I mean probably the competitiveness and some of the traits of a leader
1: are a, a relatively natural, mm. but I definitely think you can develop it because yeah. probably one of the confusing things around leadership is what is it? Yeah. You know, leadership is first and foremost being a really good role model. Yeah. You know, so if you're talking about leadership in that sense, everyone can be a good role model. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay, if I'm a good role model, everyone looks at me, sees what I do really well, and emulates me. So everyone can learn how to do that, mm-hmm. you know, learn what it takes to be great. The second you know, parts of it are, You've got to build you know, great empathy got to build really good relationships I've got to be able to communicate really well I've got to set clear standards so they're probably the learned things as well you know yeah. as a young player you know I was just watching the great leaders and then learning what to do myself but then as I gradually gained the skill set you were the one that was sort of creating the environment building relationships with players helping them when they're going through you know, bad patches so mm-hmm. it's really a combination but anyone out there can certainly develop leadership capability.
0: Did you find it harder or easier to be a, a leader as, as a player compared to a coach? I mean, as a coach, obviously, there's only so much you can do while the game's being played um, to be a leader when you're sitting up in the box, yeah. obviously, aside from uh, the, the breaks. But, yeah, did you find that difficult to, to play that leadership role when you not when you don't have the control to be out there with the boys?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, as a leader... I've, when you're a player, you can do an act that mm. helps the team. You yeah. know, it's really hard to do that as a coach. So they're really different skill sets. I think that's why often um, great players don't make great coaches because they don't, they see it as just, well, as a great player, I can be a great coach. But they're really dramatically different skill sets. Yeah. So, yeah, as a player, it was, it was easier because you could have direct impact on the game. As a coach, it was more around preparation, understanding, planning – as I said, relationships, understanding the concept of leadership, empowerment, bringing players together sort of Mm -hmm. thing. And, yeah, it was more frustrating because you sat in the box and you sort of knew what it
0: looked like. and
1: And, uh,
0: yeah, it didn't always go to plan. Yeah. Did you – how did you go with, um, I guess, treating certain players – in a, in a way that they respond best to. It. Was that was that something that was difficult to to learn as you were a coach in terms of, you know, you might have one guy, you can give him an absolute spray and he goes out and turns it on, whereas the other guy goes into his shell once he gets, gets you know, confronted. Was that something difficult to, to figure out from player to player? Yeah, it's certainly one of the keys to leadership, there's no doubt, you
1: know, because everyone responds to different conversations yeah. and different ways of learning. You know, we do a lot of profiling now. At my leadership company performance by design and really it's designed for that to mm. say to the leaders you can't lead everyone the same way you can set the same standards mm-hmm. but then how you get the people to you know adhere to those standards is going to be different you and i might need to go and have a coffee you know, yeah, yeah mary just wants really direct feedback you know just tell me i should have been on work on time and tell me if it happens again yeah you know i'm not going to tolerate it you know so that's the key to leadership is really understanding that so it's it's a that definitely a learned skill. Um, I remember a really critical part of my leadership journey was when I was finishing as a player, and I I was a pretty good player, um, you know, always getting a game and always sort of you know in the leadership group or captain or whatever. And then all of a sudden at the end of nineteen ninety eight, I was sitting on the bench a lot, and that was before they used the interchange really for for coming in off the ground. And mm-hmm. and then I started to realize, geez, not everyone gets a game every week. Not everyone going through the same thing that I'm going. So it was a really good ten week period. For me to say, geez, there's a lot of different personalities and a lot of different things that people are going through. So I really learnt that specifically through that period, and then transferred that into my coaching
0: style. Mm. When we talk about uh, leaders, say in the workplace, in the corporate world, and stuff like that, obviously with leadership by design, it's have you do you find it bit more difficult for say, let's say a CEO of a company who 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 is obviously the leader of, of that that company. To be able to lead everyone else and to be able to make sure everyone else is okay at the same time, is still playing their role as well. Yeah, it's
1: funny because I I think the the concepts get a bit blurred in the corporate world, you know, because they take the titles, and I always talk about um, transactional leaders or you know relationship building leaders. Most people in a business, and even in footy clubs we see, get promoted based on their technical skills. So we very rarely go into a leadership group, exec team, GM team, that aren't technically really good at what they do. Yeah. But they haven't been taught basically so they go up the org chart because they're you know very good IT person yeah. very good marketing person very good accountant suddenly they get into the leadership team and they're now managing 20 30 40 50 100 people yeah. but they haven't been taught those leadership capabilities mm. so when you when you ask that question the the good CEOs we work with have a really good balance they have a really good balance of getting you know really technical and understanding that but more importantly they're now overseeing the business so they're more about yeah, what is our culture, what are our standards, yeah. what are our relationships and they're really, really good at that but it is a, definitely a balancing act.
0: Yeah, because it's almost like, particularly in the last, say, 18 months, um, it's interesting to see how people respond and deal with stress yeah. a- and the unknown um, which I would imagine in that type of scenario where someone is extremely good at what they do but all of a sudden they've been focusing on themselves or whatever the, the company Work is and then all of a sudden they've got all these other people they're managing, it would be interesting to see like how people respond to that stress because it can be a, a massive uh, a massive stress all of a sudden like finding it super hard to focus on your job. I know last year um, and even this year like a lot of people found it super hard just to be productive with what they would usually do because of all the external stress so that was constantly kind of taking their attention away. Yeah, and then we talk about...
1: Um under pressure, do you do what's best for yourself or do you do what's best for your team, which is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah, and, and good leaders have the capacity under pressure to do what's best for the team. Yeah, You know, pick up the phone, make some phone calls, get on the Zoom calls, but before they start, you know, getting into the, the business... We're just going to do a bit of a gratitude. What are you thankful for? Is everyone yeah. under okay? So, really good leaders have the capacity. Poor leaders just think about themselves. Yeah, yeah. We've seen a lot of that in the last eighteen months. A lot of leaders that just don't really care about anyone else other than themselves. themselves yeah, yeah. And then they just go back and what's you know, am I getting paid? Yeah. Will I win the election? Yeah, you know, all those <laughs> sorts of things are yeah. coming to the fore. Yeah. And the really poor leaders have just been incredibly exposed within that. 18-month period because, as I said, under pressure, they're just doing best, what's best for themselves and they don't really give a, a, a crap about anyone else.
0: With the players that you worked with as a coach, was there was there anyone that stands out to you that just naturally just had, in terms of an all-round leadership role, where that was just an absolute jet right from the start, that it, that it was just really thrived off of making sure that they brought up their teammates and but at the same time performing on the field? Yeah, we, we sort of took a leap of faith. So at the end of 2002, Paul Kelly retired as captain
1: and we and South Melbourne, Sydney, like all clubs, had, had great captains and, and they were normally great players. And all of a sudden we had this exodus, exodus of Tony Lockett, um, Andrew Dunkley, um, Wayne Swash retired, Paul Kelly. And so we had this situation when I took over as coach in 2003 that we didn't really know who was going to be captain. So we embarked on... You know, setting up our culture code, what we're going to stand for. Then the players voted for the leadership group. So it was the first time that had ever happened in AFL history based on the behaviours. Through that process, Stewie Maxfield became captain Yeah, and he was exceptional. You know, he really, really was committed to making us a great team, committed to being a role model leader, saying, well, if this is the behaviours we've talked about, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to drive my... The team to do that And he was relentless Like he's He's as good a leader As I've worked with Um And was still able to Maintain his high standards Of, of playing Unfortunately got injured Started 2005 And didn't play in the Grand final Which was Which was really sad The only pa- bad thing about Winning the premiership Was Stewie wasn't there But he
0: drove the team For two years And he was amazing leader. Mm. Going back to what You just touched on In regards to Picking that leadership Group It was Um Funnily enough, a couple of hours ago, I went for a bit of a run with Jules Lund and I mentioned that I was catching up with you today and he he asked me to to talk to you about um, – he, he said at one time you guys were talking about how working in a club, how you would pick that leadership role and how you would go over – he said you're just extremely good at breaking down what leadership is and then almost reverse engineering how to figure out who should be the captain. He used the example of I think it was – um, at Sydney, you know, asking the players' group what they what values they saw in a leader, yep. listing them, then asking the players' group who in the lead, who in that group had those values, and then really breaking it down to the point where. It, it's not that hard to figure out who should be mm. the leader of the group. So is there is there a specific process that you that you follow to really break it down as simple as possible?
1: Yeah, it's really about. Club. I mean, the more people within your organisation, even if you're talking about a cor- corporation, I and mean, you talk about a footy club, you know, we would get all the players in, all the coaches in, and we'd start to define what we wanted to be seen. You know, mm-hmm. too often you come into a footy club or an organisation. Um, I remember when I worked in the Melbourne Footy Club, and there was that many bloody. Things on the wall, and I basically said, I was like "Just pull everything down. I want you to pull everything down." Yeah, you know, we left up the, obviously the cups and the trophies and the photos yeah. were fantastic because yeah. that's the history of the, history, the footy yeah. club. But yeah, determination and this and whatever it was. Yeah. It has to be created by the people that are there. So we did it in two thousand, end of two thousand two, two thousand three, Coffs Harbour. We got all the players together, coaches. We came up with our trademark, our culture code. And as Jules said, we when sort you of, say
0: culture code, for well, the listeners, how gonna, you want to break how it. we're going to
1: act. You know yeah, how we're going to okay. behave. And then we said to the players, okay, if this is the way we want to behave who in this group does that best, better than anyone right now, right here, right now? Yeah. And then out of that, there was about nine or ten leaders, and out of that, Stewie Maxfield became. So it's, you know, I I talk about it taking the chance out of culture. You can leave your culture to chance. Mm -hmm. And and generally, if you hire good people, you're going to have a a good culture. But all of a sudden, one or two people sneak through – Water cooler talk says, "Oh, Roozy's a you know an idiot." Blah blah blah, and then suddenly we talk about the weight of numbers. You know, you've got a company, of, a small company of 20, 15 good people, five that are trying to fit in. Then you expand it to thirty. You know, suddenly you got twenty-two and eight, then you expand it to forty. Then you got twenty-five and yeah. fifteen. You can see how it works, mm. and suddenly a hundred, you got fifty-fifty. Yeah, you know, but. So, you can leave it to chance, mm. or you can build your culture code. And that's what we do at Performance by Design. We we come in and we sit with you, you know, and we develop your behaviors. Most companies have a purpose and values, which is fantastic, really yeah. important. But honesty to you might look completely different to me. Yeah. You know, yep. um, DK, why didn't you tell me last week that, you know, the gym session was starting at six? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, and you might yeah. genuinely believe, well, I didn't think you wanted to come. And, mm-hmm. But DK, asked you what time it started. Yeah, I, no, but I thought you were working. Yeah. You know, that's why I didn't tell you it was start at six. If um, tell the truth is what we stand for, and I say, DK, what time does the, the session start tomorrow morning? Oh, six o'clock, Rosie. Pretty simple
0: yeah, to simple determine stuff, yeah.
1: whether I've told the truth or not. But yeah. honesty is a slightly different. Does that make sense? Yeah, So we try and really break it down yeah. underneath the the values, what are the behaviours that underpin mm-hmm. honesty or passion or driven or, you know, supportive or whatever. And once you do that, amazing things happen. Yeah. Yeah, because you reward based on it, you challenge. And that was really the Sydney model, the Melbourne model, um, the Geelong model was here, here's what we stand for and you can act your way in because we're we clear on what the system looks like. We're yeah. clear on the way we behave. So, yeah, you can
0: absolutely create your culture or you can leave it to chance. You see, often on uh, on movies like sporting movies and, and stuff like that, a new coach comes in and the, the the players group don't want a bar of it or or they're just fresh and no one really knows what to expect. And you see a varying um, different ways of behaviour or how the coach tries to get the players group to buy in. You know, when you're when you were starting at a club, whether it be Sydney or Melbourne, is there a certain even with um, you know leadership by design? Now, is there a certain Uh, formula that you like to use when when it's the first day you walk in, you meet all the players' group or you meet whoever you're working with to try and, you know, get that attention and also be able to have the positive influence on whoever you're working with at the time? Yeah, probably touch on Melbourne because at Sydney I was a player there so they already sort of knew me, so I already
1: established relationships. So if we fast forward to Melbourne, I remember the first conversation that I had with the player group that a couple of things really stood out for me. We're in this together, you know, this is coaches and players together. We'll build this footy club collectively and every one of you will know exactly what's expected of you all the time. And when you're out in the field, you'll know exactly what those roles are and what your roles are. And then you build from there. So we started – I brought some coaches from Sydney and I said to those coaches, look, we need to build some strong relationships here. These players yeah. are wounded, have you know, lost for six years, they're lacking confidence. Let's really use the, next, the first three months to build those relationships – the first three months to, to build out our leadership capabilities, what our you know, culture code, what our trademark looks like, and then we start to implement our game plan. So you've got to formulate your plan, mm-hmm. you know, and you've got to articulate the, the players, and they've got to believe that they're doing it collectively. We're all doing it together. So that's probably the the main three or four points that I tried to start at at Melbourne
0: yeah. and then build out from there. Yeah, nice. And... Uh, earlier, earlier in the chat you mentioned, um, touched on, on family. Obviously you were coaching, you also had the family at the same time. I mean, I think about working, having a girlfriend and a puppy and it's overwhelming <laughs> at times. I can't imagine being the head coach of an AFL team, having a family and, and all the public's eyes on you as well. So was that a bit of a learning curve and was there any, anything in particular that you found helpful or you know, did you just completely try and separate the two, try and leave work at work and, and be with your family when you're at home? Uh, was that quite difficult?
1: Uh, probably a couple of things was that we'd, we made a collective decision to do it. Now, the boys were pretty young at the time, but we did discuss it. I discussed it with Tammy, my wife, and I said, look, we, are, yeah, we will be coaching the, the Sydney Swans. And I think too often, it's probably the opposite. I think too often people talk about work-life balance. I just talk about life balance. Yeah. You know, you've got, you got a dog. You, yeah. Whether you're in the gym, you've still got a dog. A <laughs> like yeah. dog does not disappear when yeah. your, your girlfriend yeah. doesn't disappear. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when you're at work. So this notion of work-life balance, to me it's life balance. Yeah. So how do we get our life in balance? And the best way to do that is actually when the opportunity arises, you know, we bring them both together. We don't try and keep them separate because mm-hmm. if we try and keep them separate, it just becomes way too complicated. Yeah. So for me it was, Tammy, this is what, what, this is what we're going to do. Are you in, in, interested? The boys were sort of pretty young and I was like, oh, Dad, we'll never see you and blah, blah, blah. blah. But the interesting thing was <laughs> – when I decided to give it away at Sydney, the boys were like, Oh Dad, why are you giving it away? We love the footy club. Because we took the opportunity to create a an environment where players felt comfortable, wives felt comfortable, mm-hmm. kids felt comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that was their footy club. So they're probably the main things. Now different jobs, you know, clearly one of the things the boys wanted to do was come in the coach's box. You know, clearly it's like <laughs> boys, you're not coming in the yeah. coach's <laughs> box. Yeah, if you're the CEO of BHP, I couldn't imagine yeah, bringing your three-month-old or your 12-month-old yeah. baby into the board meeting yeah. sort of thing. So clearly there's differences. I'm not suggesting that. But within the parameters, I think too often we, we separate them and we look to the end-of-year holiday for a month where we go overseas yeah. and that, that's not what the kids remember necessarily. Mm. I, and Dylan talked about it a lot. He says he remembers me flying back from Perth on a midnight flight, arriving at 6am and then coaching his footy team. You know, yeah. he remembers, and Tyler remembers me, taking him a breakfast every Thursday at Wallara, you know, for an hour, then dropping off at school and then going to work. You know, they're the times, and I think we forget that. Yeah. You know, we always think it's the big moment. It's not the big moment. It's the little moment. Reading, Consistent reading little in, moments. Reading the book in bear. Yeah. You know, um, taking for a walk down the park with, the, with, you know, taking the dog with your wife down the park or coffee or whatever. Mm. Um, they're the moments everyone remembers. So I yeah. think we've got to pull it together a bit more and we've got to talk about life balance and just trying to get that right as much as we can.
0: Was that something that you – obviously it's it's a player's choice how they, they separate their, their family or, or um, personal life and, and football, but was that something that you're trying to relay on to the team as well to try and embrace the fact that it is a, a life balance and that there shouldn't be kind of two separate, separate well, things? Well, I remember – I even go back
1: to my, my manager <laughs> who was with me for years, Damien Smith, I remember when he talked about – you know, you have to be happy at home to be a good player. And I was sort of like, yeah, actually that makes sense. You know, if we're not happy at home, it's hard for us to be a good footballer. If yeah. we're not happy at football, it's hard for us to be a good husband or or mm. partner. So that really stuck with me. So we were about the whole person, you know, and we believed that the whole person, the better that our players were off-field, the better they would play on-field. So it really was more of a common-sense approach. Now... Yeah, it was a couple of times where you sense the players take advantage of it, and oh, you know, I got to look after the kids. Can I miss training tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, there's a few yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. There's a few things we need you to do. You know, it's not, it's not open slather here. And even for me, like I said before about the coach's box, but even now, I was walking through the house the other day, looking at some photos, and there was, yeah, you know, the boys, you know, on the shoulders after the game singing the theme song. Now that doesn't affect anyone, you know, but. What a memory for them to come yeah. in. We're in a circle. The boys are there singing the song. Yeah, so they're, they're the special moments yeah. that you remember. Yeah. yeah. So I think I would just encourage everyone to you know, try and create a really, really positive environment for everyone at work. And mm-hmm. whatever that workspace is, what that looks like for you, it's going to be better for them. If they're they're much better at home, much better at work – then yeah, your life will be better as well as a CEO, as a manager because yeah. they're going to be happier yeah. and you're going to be happier.
0: Yeah, for sure. Obviously, your wife, Tammy, um, she's a bit of a jet when it comes to the meditation, mindfulness side of things. Dylan's doing some incredible work as well. I, I don't personally know Tyler that well, but um, is the mindfulness side of things something that's, that you've always had in your toolkit from the early days or is it something that you adopted later on and, and even now? Uh, Is it part of your daily practice or is it just something that Tammy enjoys and you kind of just kick off to the side? No, we did a course together
1: like 20 years ago or something like that. So we actually did the course together, which was amazing. She went on and did the studies. She she got a PhD and all that sort of Mm. stuff and did a dissertation in meditation. So she's way more advanced than me. But no, I meditate every morning. And even as a player, like when I I finished playing, I sort of started to think, you know, there's, there's minimal gains. I was talking to one of the North boys about it today. Um, And I said, look, if you go back to when I was running, you know, at Fitzroy, we used to do a 4K time trial, you know, our best runners were running 13.45, you know, 12.45 to 13.45, so, yeah, so that hasn't really advanced much, like... I would back a lot of our Fitzroy players then to run better than most players today. Yeah, yep. But where was the improvement going to come? Probably through the mindfulness, the meditation, yeah. above the shoulders. Mm-hmm. So we started to bring that in at Sydney. Tammy came into the Swans in 2003 and just, you know, it was, it was optional, um, and but it was no surprise that some of our better players took it up, Brett Kerr, Craig Bolton, Jude Bolton, yeah. you know, Adam Goods, and then we brought in full-time at Melbourne when, when I went to Melbourne Footy Club, so it's just sort of common sense. Yeah, you know, we we work so much on our, our physical body, whether it be eating or you know, exercise, yeah. running, but yep. we don't work enough on our, our, our mind and mm. being present and clearing our mind and giving it a rest and all those sorts of things. So I'm really glad I took it up and I'm glad I still do it, particularly now where there's so much we can't control at the moment. Yeah. The ability to stay calm, stay focused, stay control what yeah. you can, yeah, stay present is incredibly important.
0: Is it something that's in every club now? I mean, I was lucky enough to have um, Emma Murray on the show a few couple of months ago, and, and you know, it seems to be that pretty much every club is is having almost someone full time, if not part time, in the club to to work on mindfulness with the players. Is yeah, it look, something it's more, that's it's certainly everywhere? more mainstream? Yeah.
1: And I think if you look at the difference between corporate world and, and the footy world. Yeah, the football clubs and sporting clubs do everything to be high performance. You know, so they're always – because if you don't, you get the sack, basically. Yeah. So the, the, the importance of getting better over and over and over and over again. So I would say most clubs now would do it in in some way, shape or form mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it works. It helps the players. There's so much data around, you know, what it does to the brain and, and how it helps you sleep and yeah. build better relationships and be present and all those things that, that we've talked about.
0: Was there um, was there anything that you added to the toolkit uh, in terms of mindfulness over the past eighteen months since since COVID's kind of stuffed up everything everywhere? Was there anything that you weren't doing before that you've adopted um, now into your morning or daily routine that you found has been a significant help? Whether it might be journaling, I'm not sure if you're doing stuff like that before. Obviously, you're pretty active with um, with the momentum group and stuff like that. Is there is there anything in particular that you found has helped?
1: It's probably reinforcing. I mean, it was interesting when we did the momentum course, you know. I think some of that stuff you forget. You know, the journaling yeah, I think is really yeah. important. The stacking, yeah, you know, the habits. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think we did one one of them where you had to add something a week and I was sort of sitting there going, oh, my lifestyle's pretty good and you're sort of racking your brain. And then I thought, well, if I do 20 push-ups and 20 sit-ups and I multiply that by 356, actually that's a truckload of push-ups <laughs> and sit-ups <laughs> I think we – We don't look at it in that that marginal gain, those incremental things. Always looking for the well. I think that's the problem, as you would know. Some of the problems with the fitness and health industry is all of a sudden you've got this person that's unhealthy, and we try and jam this incredible diet down. I'm I'm not suggesting it doesn't work, but it's so far away from the way they're eating anyway. So they're never going they're going to get through this thirty day diet. And they're going to go, thank, thank god I've a freaking pizza now. Yeah, and and I, I think th- god I can have 6 beers or something like that. Yeah.
0: And that's exactly what I try and coach with all of my clients whether it be training or nutrition. I always say right from the start like all right, look, what realistically, what on a good week or yeah. on a, on, a, on a shit week, what can you do yeah, in terms do? of training, nutrition, yeah. whatever? This is so that's our baseline. Now we start to build on that. This week all we're going to focus on is all right, so I want you to eat this amount of protein. Doesn't matter anything else doesn't matter. The next week we're going to add in yeah water, then we're gonna add in how many calories you're having, then we're gonna add in, all right, how many workouts you have done this week? And then all of a sudden there's been yeah. eight weeks and it's a complete game changer. Whereas like you said, a lot of the time people could try and go from zero to hundred and expect it to happen straight away and it's just not it's not realistic. And and as you've said, it's almost day one and they're counting down the days until it's over.
1: Yeah, and I think I think through the COVID what it's reinforced is it's got to work for you. hmm You know, you've just articulated really well. Don't worry I mean, we're competitive beasts, and too often we compare ourselves. To, oh, you know, why are they losing more weight than me, or why yeah. are they, why are they running, and you know, should I be doing that? No, no, no. no. Don't worry about, don't worry about them all the time. Yeah. Are you a better person today than you were yesterday? Mm. I think I am because yesterday. I, I didn't go for a walk today. I've just started a walk and I walked a K. Fantastic. What are you going to do tomorrow? You're not going to go 10K.
0: Yeah, exactly. But can you
1: do another K? Yeah. Yeah, I reckon I can do another K. Yeah. So compare yourself to yourself and just get slightly better. So I think for me COVID's really reinforced that. The momentum course was fantastic and a lot of those tools, giving us tools. And I I think the other thing is... We've got to look after ourselves first and foremost. Yeah. You know, if we can't look after ourselves, I talk about this, your own health will determine the health of your business. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so people that are, yeah, you know, the, the conversation we're having now, when people get sort of half confused about why do I exercise, why do I eat well, mm. why do I have to do this, why do I have to do that, it's like, well... Why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. You know, why
1: wouldn't you look after
0: yourself? It's like that analogy of in the aeroplane, if you don't put your own oxygen mask on first, you can't help the person next year anyway.
1: Well, we've got so conditioned now, and we probably don't get a start on this, but we've got so conditioned about a pill for this or a vaccine for this or... Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just bizarre that this, this notion of health... Yeah. It's flipped so far the wrong way. It's just yeah.
0: incredible. And I, and yeah, like you said, we're probably probably not in a conversation for now, but I've, I've said this a number of times to so many people. It's just interesting to me that over the since, – since COVID first started, there's not been one government initiative around how can we, you know, strengthen our immune system so we don't get it. All it is is make sure we don't go anywhere near anyone else in case you get it. Like, the, oh, a, I- even the fact that it's obviously been – Slightly better since the last lockdown, but the fact that gyms are one of the last things to open up, whereas, you know, you can go to a strip club or a bloody brothel before you can go oh. to the gym, it's just absurd. And when you look at
1: it in those terms and you, took, you get back to leadership, I always think about what happens in that meeting? Oh, How in that meeting what can someone happens? make – what is the conversation yeah. in that meeting with yeah. that team that's making decisions mm. that can come up with a decision like that? That's That's – the thing that's probably most shocked me
0: through and, COVID, and, and you know, touching on that, it, it almost seems like they don't have, they don't at the start. There hasn't been any um, layout of what are our qualities or what, what do we see as our, nah. our values? No values. There can't be any values. No behaviors.
1: behaviors nah. No. And, it, and it's and it's good. I always sort of I always picture the meeting and and the meeting's finished. And I think there was at one point to your point where you couldn't go to a gym, but you could go to a brothel or yeah. something like that. And there was a lot of posts on it. Yeah. yeah. I always sort of picture the meeting going. Surely someone in the meeting goes, "Guys, can we just sit down for another 5 minutes yeah. <laughs> because we might need to go over this again." Yeah. Do you realize that we're now going to tell people you can't go to a gym but you can go to a brothel? We might want to read, yeah. but there mustn't be anyone in the meeting that just has And we talk about psychological safety and we talk about I the I think abilities. it also
0: comes back to what you said before though. It's it's those, you know, quote-unquote leaders yeah. are thinking about their own benefit, their own, their exactly. own votes from different yeah, people and yeah. all that type of crap. And They have no capacity to, to think yeah. outside
1: their own, this themselves, yeah, yeah. so they don't be able to stop. But also I think they haven't created a psychological safe environment mm. where the person that's sitting there thinking like you and I has the capacity to stand up and say, no, we shouldn't be doing that. Because yeah. it's a very top-down still approach and yeah. it's a very uh, bullying-type Scenario, etc., etc. So that person doesn't feel safe to speak up. So, of course, what happens? We go out. We 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 stand there in front of everyone else, and the first thing people say is, "How on earth did that get through?" Yeah, you know. But um. But yeah, I think they're the things through COVID. Is yeah, we we have to get away from this notion of someone else or a pill or this or that, you know. And through the momentum through COVID, yeah, I realize my. Um, habits are really important. Yeah. Routines are really important. Yeah, you know, and, and just getting them done
0: as, as best you possibly can. But before we wrap up, in regards to leadership by design, like, who, what's the, the target? Clientele, like What is the process when you go into work with someone? And for those that are listening, like, is there anyone in particular that that it's more targeted towards than others? Not really. I mean, we sort of
1: started the company about four years ago, and based on our, all our experience in corporate and in sport, yeah. So we we really go into all sorts of companies, and depending yeah. on the size of the company, um, if it's a big company, we work on the exec team, the level below. If it's a smaller company, we love, which we love doing. Both, but the beauty of the smaller companies is working with all I all right. the teams, so they can create their own sort of culture code, their own behaviours, yep. create environments really. Um, so yeah, no, we love we love going to all different types of companies, setting their culture code, um, redefining you know, if they do have a purpose and values often. Yeah, it's something that someone else has given them and and a lot of times we'll ask them, I say, yeah, so do you want us to use it? Most of the time they say, no, no, let's, yeah, maybe, but let's see what our staff thinks and often we'll sort of change it based on that. Mm -hmm. So, no, it's. I mean, it's exciting and love doing it and the change in the companies that we go into that are really committed to culture, they see an enormous change.
0: Brilliant. Lastly, mate, will we, will we see you as a head coach again in the AFL? <laughs> no, nah,
1: not as a head coach. I've, I've sort of had a, an involvement with North Melbourne this yeah. year and got involved last year. Benny Buckley's a mate of mine and originally it was to sort of help out Reese Shaw and then Reese obviously. Um, had to leave yep. due to you know, mental health and then they, I was on the board to appoint David Noble and have been with the club this year just doing some part time yep. work with the, with the CEO who's been terrific Brady Rawlings who's the GM working a bit with their coterie groups as well and doing a bit with, with Nobes and Johnny yep. Blakey and the coaches and, and leadership group and players so no I have really enjoyed that but yeah if you're going to do it you have to be full on and you have to be committed to it yep. and
0: um, I can't see myself doing that again well, Paul, thanks for joining us today, mate. It's been a, I really enjoyed the conversation. So, uh, I'm sure the listeners have taken a lot out of it as well. So thank you. Thanks a lot. Been a pleasure. For everyone who's tuned into the episode, um, if you have enjoyed it, which I'm sure you have, we'd love for you to take a screenshot of this show at the moment and post it up on Instagram story for us. Tag myself, tag Paul. I'll we'll have all the links to the Leadership by Design and your socials in the show notes, Paul. Um, thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and we'll chat to you again in the next episode.